the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do, do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, go out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law, to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant this favour you also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Well, as you can see, the Bible is not the ladybird book of spirituality. It is a book of blood and fire. 
and we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 19 this morning. Let me start by asking you a question. Um, What springs to mind when you think of the phrase Sodom and Gomorrah? We'll be thinking of those two original sin cities this morning. Uh, A second question, what do you think of when you think of the phrase fire and brimstone? We'll be dealing with that reality this morning. And then thirdly, what do you think of when you think of the mercy of God? And actually, we'll see as we dive down into the Bible that those three phrases are not speaking of what we ordinarily think of. As we dive down into the Bible, we'll see it is not the Ladybird book of spirituality. It is blood and thunder. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are these original sin cities. They are these places that face the fire and brimstone of God. And I wonder what it is that you think of when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah. My first point is that as we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we should think of paradise, but without Christ. Sodom looks like Eden. Sodom looks like heaven without Jesus. And by the end of the chapter, it looks like hell. That's a big lesson for us. Sodom looks like paradise, but it's paradise without Christ. Uh, The first mention of Sodom in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 13. You might remember as you've been traveling through the book of Genesis, there was a time when Abram and Lot, they both had large households and they needed to go their separate ways. And Abram said, look, you choose wherever you want to go. Lot looked around in chapter 13, verse 10, and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, says verse 13, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So we get this picture that Sodom looks like the garden of the Lord. It looks like Eden. It looks like Egypt before Egypt got all of its exodus connotations. So it's a land of abundance, and plenty, fertility. And all Lot can see is the abundance. But he should have been listening to the Spirit's voice. In verse 13, the Spirit's voice is saying, the people are sinning greatly. Will Lot live by faith or by sight? He lives by sight. And actually what we get the sense of in chapter 13 is he pitches his tents near to Sodom. And then in chapter 14, we realize that he has entered into the city. He's now in Sodom. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 19, he's sitting in the city gate. He is one of the elders of the city. He is judging. He is ruling. He has gotten into Sodom in a massive way. And as we'll see, Sodom has gotten into him even more. But what do you think of when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah? What do you think of when you think of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? When the rest of the Bible looks back at Sodom, it's interesting what it picks out. So in 2 Peter chapter 2 in the New Testament, it speaks of people giving themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. In Jude in the New Testament, it says they gave themselves up to sexual immorality and uh, lawlessness. Lawlessness is the, is the term from, from 2 Peter. And going after strange flesh is what Jude picks up. 
Now, obviously, in chapter 19, as we've just seen, there is a scene in which the angels that are there, who are doing reconnaissance on Sodom, they are Sodom's last hope for a reprieve. And it says that every man came to the door of Lot, and they wanted to gang rape the angels who were Lot's last hope, who were Sodom's last hope for a reprieve. Uh, A shocking sin. But the sins of Sodom are not simply sexual. Uh, Within the Bible as well, in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, he looks back on the sins of Sodom and he says this about Sodom. This was the sin of your sister Sodom, Ezekiel 16 verse 49. She and her daughters were arrogant and overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them as you have seen. So woven into the sins of Sodom are things like being proud, things like being unconcerned for the poor, and also there is this detestable things that uh, is spoken of. And I I think that the gang rape, or the attempted gang rape, the would-be gang rape of those angels um, was very much in view for Ezekiel. But the Bible weaves together spiritual sins and sexual sins because the Bible says that sex is part of a bigger picture. The Bible is a cosmic romance. It begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens is masculine in Hebrew. The earth is feminine. We're set up for this love story in which you're meant to say, heaven and earth, they should get together. And in Genesis chapter 3, there is promised the great seed, Christ, the offspring, who would unite heaven and earth. He is the great hope for heaven and earth coming together. And yet in Genesis, there are many times when heaven and earth unite illegitimately. So you might remember in Genesis chapter 6, as you've studied Genesis, uh, there was the time when the, the sons of God had sex with the daughters of men. Now, what is going on there? At minimum, we're seeing an illegitimate union of heaven and earth. There are right ways and wrong ways to go about the cosmic romance. And Genesis 6 gives us a wrong way. Genesis chapter 11, there's another wrong way. There's the Tower of Babel as people on, on earth try to climb their way into heaven. That's an illegitimate way of earth and heaven uniting. And here in Genesis 19, we have this other illegitimate way of uniting heaven and earth. Here, here are people who want to know sexually these angels. And the Bible puts together the, the, the sexual and the spiritual Because I I guess we all know that the sexual is painted on a far larger canvas than we're used to painting. Uh, There is something very deep about sex. We we all tend to to know, don't we, that our bodies are less like playgrounds, they're more like temples, aren't they? And that sex is, is less like playing around and more like entering holy space. We kind of know that, don't we? At least we know that when it goes wrong. When sex goes tragically wrong, we know that it does not feel like a grazed knee on the playground. We know that it feels like holy space being violated. We know that it feels like a desecration. Because in the Bible, the sexual and the spiritual are kind of woven together, and and sexual sin can be a sign of things that are wrong in that spiritual moral sense as well. And so the Bible, yes, it does point to the sins of Sodom in sexual senses, but it also points to the sins of Sodom in these very spiritual senses. And we get the sense, therefore, that what Jesus is wanting from us is not simply to tidy up our sexual lives and our sexual histories. 
When Jesus summons us to himself, he offers healing for our sexual lives and he offers healing for our spiritual lives. And nothing in your sexual history can ever preclude you from coming to Jesus. Nothing nothing can ever be a barrier to Jesus. With your sexual sins, your sexual history, your lifestyle, your attractions, whatever they may be, Jesus says, push beneath those things and there's a spiritual issue. And Jesus can heal even that and set us straight. It's very interesting that in the Bible, when it picks up the sins of Sodom, the people who it points the finger at as being most likely to commit the sins of Sodom are actually the people of God. Actually, the people of God are the ones who are a mess, just like Lot. What a total mess. He, he, he comes across as this lost fool in this chapter, wickedly offering his daughters to the would-be rapists. The people of God are not better than the world. And throughout the Bible, whenever it points the finger at people and says, you're just like Sodom, it's always the people of God that it points out. So in Deuteronomy 29, it's the people of God who are like Sodom. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, actually, it would be better to be in Sodom than to be Jerusalem in its unbelief. And so the Bible, it's not saying what you think it says when it's picking out Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you think of when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah? The Bible says it looks like paradise, but it's paradise without Christ. And it gets its spiritual values wrong, and therefore it also gets its sexual values wrong. And by the end of Genesis 19, it's a city that looks like hell. The next phrase is fire and brimstone. What is it that springs to mind when you think of fire and brimstone. You know, a neighbor of mine asked me just the other day, he knows I'm a preacher. He says, what kind of preacher are you? You're not a fire and brimstone preacher, are you? And I thought, well, it's very funny because, you know, I'm about to preach on the original fire and brimstone, the fire that fell from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. But what do you think of when you think of fire and brimstone? Here's the shock. When you Think about fire and brimstone. Think this is love's response to evil. This is the response of love to evil. Uh, The phrase fire and brimstone comes in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 when the Lord originally appears to this excited Abraham and he confides in Abraham and he says, this is what I'm going to do to a, a, a city that has gone so perverse. And you'll remember from last week, Abraham is interceding with the Lord, trying to get it down. What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you destroy it for 50? No, he won't. For 45? No, he won't. 40, 30, 20, 10. If there are 10 people in the city, the Lord's heart is so towards mercy that, of course, he will spare the entire city if there is just one extended household of faith. But if there is not, then the fire and the brimstone will fall. Fire in the Bible is associated with the Spirit again and again. So you you can think of places like Acts chapter 2 and and the day of Pentecost when fire fell. But even this idea of brimstone, it comes up in uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. It's translated sulfur here in the ESV translation. That too is described as the Spirit's work of refining. Because God is a consuming fire, according to the Bible. 
Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, says that the very flame of the Lord is love. God is a consuming fire of love. And if you are in on the insides of that consuming fire, it is the sunshine of his love. And if you are on the outside of it, if you have perverted his love, twisted his love, and and destroyed the objects of his love, then you experience it as the fire and brimstone. But it's the same blazing, holy, pure, jealous love of the Lord that is experienced in these two different ways. To be on the outside is to receive the fire and the brimstone. To be on the inside, it is the sunshine of his love. But which will it be? You know, fire and brimstone uh, conjures up these, these three famous images in the Bible of when fire fell. Think of these famous times when fire fell in the Bible. In Genesis 19, obviously we have this time when fire fell from the Lord in judgment. But you might think of another famous time in the Bible when fire fell in judgment. Uh, You might think of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. There the difference between the true Lord, the true maker of heaven and earth, and the false god, Baal, is that the true Lord answers the prayers of Elijah with fire. Fire falls down on the altar and consumes the sacrifice, this substitute. And this all points ahead, obviously, to Jesus, who is the substitute, the sacrifice that is offered to endure the fire of heaven in that fire and brimstone sense, so that we can enjoy the fire of God in the Spirit's sense. And then we go on to the third time when fire and falls from heaven in the Bible, and that is Acts chapter 2, the the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after Easter, fifty days after Jesus endured the fire and brimstone on the cross, his people are gathered together, and as they shelter together in Jesus, fire falls again. And this time it is the blaze of the Spirit. And they go out from that place, and they set the world on fire with love. What do you think of when you think of fire and brimstone? So often people think of love and judgment as total opposites. But of course we know that love and anger, love and judgment, they're not opposites, are they? Love and apathy are opposites. But to truly love with a consuming, dedicated, holy, jealous love, to truly love in that sense, is to have no compromise with evil, to to consume it. But of course, with the Lord Jesus, here he comes to step into our shoes, to receive the fire and brimstone, as it were, on the cross, and to offer us a shelter, a place of refuge, and in him to receive his spirit's fire. That is how we are to unite the love and the anger, the wrath and the mercy. They all come together in Jesus. But how are we to go from the one to the other? Well, this chapter in Genesis chapter 19, it shows us how you go from being in the sights of heaven's judgment to being in the arms of a loving saviour. How how do you go from one situation to the other? Well, it's the mercy of God. The mercy of God takes us from the one to the other. But what does the mercy of God look like? 
That was the third phrase I asked you to think of at the start. What does the mercy of God look like? I think people tend to think that the mercy of God looks like soft lighting, mood music, groovy vibes. Isn't that what the mercy of God looks like? Here we're going to see, actually, the mercy of God looks like a violent intervention for an addict. That, that, that is who Lot is. He has become a hopeless addict to sin, unable to help himself. And the mercy of God looks like a violent intervention. It looks like being seized and dragged out of Sodom and into the Lord's place of refuge. Where do I get that idea from? Verse 16 of Genesis 19. But Lot lingered. So the men, these, these angels, they seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. What does the Lord's mercy look like? It looks like a violent intervention. It looks like being possessed, being seized, being taken by the hand and dragged, maybe even kicking and screaming out of the sins that you have so loved, but being dragged into the Lord's care and mercy. Lot needs this kind of mercy because he really is a, an addict. As we've seen in Genesis 13, he looked at Sodom and he says, that looks like Eden. That looks like paradise. He is besotted with it and he moves ever more towards Sodom. First he pitches his tents outside of Sodom and then he's inside the city. And then by chapter 19, verse 1, he is inside the city gate. We learn from Proverbs 31, verse 23, that the city gate is the place of honor in the city where the elders sit and deliberate and they make rulings for the city. Lot really is in Sodom. And Sodom is in him. Verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But Lot pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast of baked unleavened bread and they ate. Lot knows enough about Sodom to know that these men are not safe, which should have been a massive warning sign. Surely there's something chattering in his head saying, you know what? The people of this city are so wicked, they might well gang rape some angels. You better protect them. Something in his head knew that much about the city and yet he was not on the side of the angels trying to get others out. He needed to be persuaded. He needed to be grasped and seized and taken out himself. Verse 4, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, <clears throat> both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And you might know that in the Bible, knowing in the biblical sense is a sexual thing. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. This is wickedness. This is ridiculous. This is horrific. I hope you know that when you read through the Bible, these people are not being held up to you as heroes to emulate. Okay, Lot is being so spiritually stupid. Wicked, really, 
in this moment. And, and you'll find incidents like this throughout Genesis. Okay? It, it's not as though we're meant to look at people who end up being on the Lord's team and thinking, let's emulate these people. Actually, Lot is so enamored of Sodom, he will sell out his family just to be in with the city. What an addict. What an, having seen it, having been drawn into it, having taken a role of responsibility and power, he now can't extricate himself from it, and he even sells out his own family just to be in with this thing. Doesn't that sound like addiction? You know, one, one definition of addiction is you constantly go to your problem as though it's your solution. Yeah, so if alcohol is your addiction of choice, you constantly go back to the bottle thinking that this will solve the problem, but it causes the problem, but you go back to it as though it's the solution. This is, this is the cycle of addiction that Lot is stuck in. The men said to Lot, uh, sorry, I've, I've, I've missed over. Um, uh, Behold, I have two daughters, verse 8 who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they, the men of Sodom, said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Lot does not... (laughs) He, he does not need to defend these angels. The angels need to defend him. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, daughters, or anyone else that you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. And it turns out that the, the sons-in-law have not been one to the Lord. It's just Lot and his wife and his two daughters And even his wife and his two daughters don't seem to be wholly on board with the Lord. We'll see that next week. Lot has not done any evangelism, or at least he's not seen any fruit. There have been no conversions. I wonder if he went into Sodom thinking, I will be an influence for the city. I will shine light into Sodom. And yet it's Sodom that casts its darkness into Lot. He has not influenced Sodom for good. Sodom has influenced him for evil. If he could scratch around and just find nine other believers, the whole city would be spared. And yet there are no such people. And so we we come to verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. What does the mercy of God look like? It looks like a violent intervention for a lost addict which is what salvation looks like for you and me, okay? The reason why Lot is not much of a hero is because I am not much of a hero and you are not much of a hero. And we need to put ourselves into Lot's sandals, okay? Because we are not the people who can just see sin clearly for what it is, weigh it up in our own heads and make the wise decision to extract ourselves, We need an extraction party from heaven. We need deliverance. 
We need salvation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, this is what the mercy of God looks like. God has rescued us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He seized us. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, that is liberation, the forgiveness of sins. Thank God for His seizing love. And you might think, I don't need seizing. I don't need rescue. I don't need an intervention. And maybe this morning the Bible is saying to you, you might be more of an addict than you think you are. You may have become more captivated by some vision of paradise than you thought you were. Maybe you're in it. Maybe you think you're being an influence to all around you, but maybe you're blind to the way that it's influencing you. If the Bible is to be believed, we all are like Lot and we all need deliverance. The Lord's mercy looks like a violent intervention. It looks like him seizing us, grabbing us. And maybe you think, I don't want to be seized. I don't want to be grabbed. But actually, this is where the cosmic romance comes in. Because in my life, there's someone who I'm very glad has seized me, has possessed me, somebody who I belong to. 18 years ago, I said vows to my wife, and I said, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And I said before God and the world, I'm very happy to belong to this person. I want to belong to this person for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And this is the offer of Jesus Christ. He says, you need an intervention. You're stuck in a whole system of evil, and you cannot extract yourself, but here comes Jesus. And he wants to take you by the hand. But it's not violent and it's not against you. It's for you. Do you want to belong to him? Do you want to come to him, to be possessed by him? Do you want him to take the fire and the brimstone so that you can receive the Spirit's love? Well, that's the offer. That's the offer of the scriptures. God rescues us from the dominion of darkness. He brings us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Will you even this morning cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, maybe this is a first time prayer. Maybe this is a hundredth time prayer. Maybe it's like, Jesus, I've gotten caught up in Sodom and I need your rescue. I need your seizing. I need your possessing. I need to pray that. Perhaps you do too. Should we call on the Lord right now? Let me, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we foolishly get stuck in all sorts of patterns and loves and sins that trap us. Lord Jesus, we need your mercy. So whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, Lord Jesus, seize us, possess us, take us by the hand. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you endured the fire and the brimstone on that cross, that we might receive your spirit's love and blessing. Lord Jesus, fill our hearts with that same love. Take our eyes off everything that would addict us and lead us out in the way of liberation and peace. 
In your name we pray. Amen.